Hi, I'm Laura, and I'm not neurotypical, and this is my husband. Hi, I'm Dylan, and I'm neurotypical. You are listening to Season 2 of the Not Neurotypical Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and Season 2 is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice, and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. I am here with Dylan, my husband, and we are going to be talking all about how my late diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and our kids' diagnosis, all three of them, of autism spectrum disorder, all in 2019, has affected our relationship, him as a neurotypical, me as a neurodivergent person. And I just wanted to shed light on the fact that it is very possible for neurodivergent people and neurotypical people to have beautiful relationships together, but it is not without certain communication challenges. But what marriage isn't? And make sure you stay tuned until the end as we will be answering questions from the Not Neurotypical Squad. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would leave me a review on iTunes and also subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my YouTube channel where there is also a video version of this exact podcast. You will see a link in the description if you'd like to watch the video, but this is the extended version. So thank you so much for listening and here we go. So when we first met, we were friends and it was like never going to happen ever I was married you were you had a girlfriend that you were living with so it was pretty serious uh we have a pretty wide age gap which is pretty common for autistic people but I I didn't know that at the time I didn't know that either yeah um and I just we just it was this weird attraction like otherworldly, we always say, like we just had to talk all the time. And I didn't know it at the time. You had told me that you just didn't talk to people a lot. Yeah. And we talked not, I mean, you were pursuing me a lot and like, yeah, texting me a lot. And we kind of became best friends. Um, and I had really, really low self-esteem at the time. I was kind of like going through a hard time. Um, and you were the cool, metal guy and I don't know I just like in my head it it was just never gonna happen so I was very myself with you yeah um we yeah from the beginning like we I never like there was a lot of um friendships and stuff that I would mask a lot with um but you were so wild that I felt like I could just like say or do anything Um, and I found a huge comfort in that because that was really rare for me to kind of feel like I could just be myself. Um, I don't think I ever had that. And especially now, like definitely with how our relationship is now, I never, ever had that. And I think that I just really was drawn to you deeply, probably because of that, because I just felt so comfortable. Right. And you were not judgmental at all and very accepting, but you also pursued me a lot. Yeah. 
I did. Not right away. Um, as, as, as I said, I was married at the time. Um, it was not going well. It, it was the end of a marriage and it was a amicable divorce and it wasn't too crazy or anything, but we, you know, were together before I was officially divorced. Yeah. I, I earned you by conquest. And I think <laughs> it's interesting when you say that it, it was like a prelude to unmasking. Yeah, it was. You know, the, everything was just right so that you were basically unmasked. Yeah, I was. Um, also, I think because it just seemed like we were just friends and, and that was never going to happen. We obviously, we had such obvious attraction to each other. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was like one of those live free wild moments that I never thought was actually going to get serious. So it was just like fun. We right. just had a lot of fun. Right. And um, I think that you also could kind of be yourself with me more so than at least other women in your past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, I mean, when I met you, <laughs> I won't go too deep into it, but he did have a girlfriend and it was kind of known around town that he was in a band and would have a little fun, you know? Yeah. Stars align. But I knew that. Yeah. And for some reason, I wasn't really worried about that with you. Um, in my head, I was like, whatever. He's, he's so cool and fun. We can just have fun. And then, um, shockingly, you got a lot more serious, like quicker than I expected with yeah. me. Like once we, like when, when I was fully separated and everything, um, yeah, you, you got really serious, but what, I mean, we didn't obviously know I was autistic at the time, but what kind of drew as a neurotypical person, by the way, he has a college degree, very academic, very neurotypical. His brain works, um, very much like a brain is supposed to work except with communication. I think that's a little bit of a... Weakness, which doesn't help because disagree. that's a weakness for me too. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe your communication is really great. I think it's tremendous. Really? Yeah, I do. It's not tremendous in our relationship. Well, both ways. We're gonna get. We'll, we'll get there in the podcast. Yeah, but I think that um, you know what was it about me that kind of I don't know made you pursue me so much? Um, well, physical attraction was a big piece, but I think beyond that. Um, you were funny in a way that most girls are not. You didn't have that. Um, you kind of subverted all expectations of, you know, how a girl acts in social situations or whatever. And you were really funny, and you and you roasted people, and that was a big. <laughs> that was something that I really enjoyed doing, and and you did it just as good as I did. Yeah, and we talk about roasting, but like when you think back. It was just me being autistic. You were just autistic. Be, all, being autistic, <laughs> like and I was calling, just calling things as they were. But it was so funny because yeah, your you know your viewpoint, and even now when we go places, it's, it's still really funny. And <laughs> and maybe folks who are listening who are uh, a mixed, you know, neurodivergent and neurotypical couple, like if you and I go out to a restaurant, you point out things that are hilarious that I might not notice or notice peripherally. But when you point it out in the way you lay it out, it's it's really funny. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've said this on the podcast before, I believe, but growing up in this area actually is good if you're autistic because you can just kind of say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So while I still had many, many social challenges, I just learned early that I could totally speak my mind, but if I spin it as a joke, it's totally okay in this area. Do people know where we are, where you live? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so Philadelphians uh, are, are known as being brutally honest, and right. they will be the nicest people in the world to you, help you out, give you the shirt off their back, so they say, um, but they will also call you out directly to your face, which doesn't happen in a lot of other cities or yeah, suburbs. Probably New York, Philly, probably yeah. Baltimore a little bit. It's kind of yeah. like that. But beyond that, yeah, not too many cities. Maybe Boston, too. Yeah. But um, pretty much just this area. But Philly especially is known for just calling it as it is. It's a very yeah. um, blue-collar area, no playing. But everything's also a joke at the same time in this area. And that's why it's good where you can kind of spin it. So, yeah. Yeah. Was there ever a time where, (laughs) please answer honestly, but if there, was there ever a time where you were kind of thinking like, maybe there's something not quite right with me? Um, just in a, on a deeper intimate level, have you ever been like, maybe she should get something checked out daily basis? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, no, I mean, and maybe it's part of the masking process or, or whatever, but there were a lot of things that you could explain, and I took the explanations, like um, issues with holding a job consistently. Um, you know, I thought about them, but but you would explain it, and, you know, in my head, oh, maybe it's a one-off, whatever. Um, so maybe that would be like a, an indicator yeah 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 definitely because everyone i've been very honest about that everyone knows i had many many job struggles um and even the way you you've left jobs yeah um oh it's always me yeah i rarely got fired yeah it happened but it was more me just like getting out of there right um but not so much that was a before you most of that like mm-hmm. I I was doing better mm-hmm. um but at a higher expense it was a lot more masking you know I really struggled in that last job yeah and the last job you were at um you shared an office with someone and you would text me um <laughs> on a daily basis about what she was eating and how loud it was if she was crunching <laughs> on chips or eating an apple she's eating apples again yeah. yes yeah yeah it's so I forgot about that but yeah so um, I, I do want to talk about how, how we found out, and I know you've probably shared the story with everyone, but our son um, was diagnosed with autism first, and then I'll never forget the night. I was sitting on the couch. Laura was upstairs, and she ran down, and I thought something was wrong, the look on your face. Yeah. And um, you were like, I just took this test. And, uh, and, and then it was like a come-to-Jesus moment. Yeah. Um, for you and then for me once once things set in um and then I took the test well I made you because I thought I mean I've been over my side of all this it's funny like I I remember running down the stairs and you going what what's wrong and me being like I, I took the AQ and and it's really high like I think I'm autistic yeah and I'm like, I can't be autistic. Like, I'm not, like, am I? Right. And then I ask you, you're like, I don't know. You didn't 
really react. I think you were kind of like yeah. nervous to react <laughs> or something. You're like, what? And I'm like, well, you have to take it because there's no way you're autistic. And if you score like similar to me, I'll know it's crap. Right, right. And then you took it and like I was a 40 out of 50 and you scored like a 13 mm. out of 50. It was like pretty low, maybe 16, but it was like really low. And then I was like, crap. And then I made my mom and sister take it because I knew they would not right. be high either. And and my mom scored a zero. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. my Or maybe like a two or a three, yeah. like really low. But I'm pretty sure it was a zero and my sister was like an eight. Wow. So very low. Um, and like all three of you are like readers, really good at academics and all of that. So right. I knew like if you three scored really low and I scored really high that we were like on to something. And then I still wasn't sure then. And I think after that night though, everything was different yeah. for us. Yeah. So what was it like for you? Um, like what was going on in your head? Because a, a lot of this processing for me has been alone. Mm-hmm. What is it? From from that night, what was it like for you? Well, a lot of it was surreal. I think the background I had and the understanding I had of autism was very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're not in that world, you only know the extreme cases. Mm-hmm. You know, you think nonverbal children or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Or like um, a cognitive disability is what most people think disability. of right. and, and all of that. Right, and... You know, I knew that I didn't know the full scope of things. I wasn't in that world. I know mm-hmm. there's people in that world, but I wasn't. And and you do typically come into things with a pretty open mind. Like in general, you're you're not normally like rush to judgment kind of person. Yes. No. Yeah. I like to think about things carefully and, and kind of take in all the information. Which so, is really good for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm a rush to judgment for sure. So, you know, it was processing that and realizing like the paradigm that we're living in where we're in a kind of transitional state where I don't know what 50 years ago, if you had autism, you were a ward of the state, but it's, it's moving away from that obviously. So society as a whole is in a weird transformational state. A lot more adults are getting diagnosed as adults. Well, a lot more kids are getting diagnosed too than before. The the rate for kids is really high. So and it's a lot different. You know, there's a lot of resources as we move down the timeline. When our kids get diagnosed, there's a lot of resources in school, in home, with doctors, um, for kids. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of that for adults. There's none of it. There's and even the it. diagnostic criteria, there is no DSM diagnostic criteria for adults. Right. Even now. Um, and so that... Even when you research, it's just kind of anecdotal research for adults at this point, for the most part. And even the studies are still taking, like, talking to adults, and it's still anecdotal, um, you know, statistics. Right. So, uh, for the most part, there's been some decent studies, but it's it's nothing that is, like, for me, it's, I I would, not that all I care about is the DSM, but Mm -hmm. I would feel a lot better if they would come out with adult criteria and, and show the differences because it is very different. I mean, now now that you have, um, you know, three kids with it um, and then me, I think you 
I wonder, like, can you see how different it is for an adult than a, a kid? I know we're all three so different, so it's, it's yeah, hard. Yeah, all four of you are, are very different in how... Yeah, all four. ...in how you are. Um, so, yeah, I, I can definitely see the differences. I mean, we'll have to see. We'll see in 30 years what the, <laughs> the kids are like yeah. as adults. Um, or even 20 years, whatever. Um, but I think the other thing, too, is that you're a woman, and that is under-researched as well, mm-hmm. you know? Um so understanding that we're in a kind of unexplored territory. Yeah. Um, so it makes it difficult, but it also makes it exciting because what, you know, it, it, it was rewarding for me to watch you process everything. And, you know, you went through days where you were kind of upset about it, mm-hmm. um, kind of in crisis about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Very much. It was very complex. Like, the most complex thing I've ever been through. Right. And I tried to put myself in... I've been through a lot of complex things. Right. And I tried to put myself in your shoes to understand one day you wake up and, you know, the last 20 years of your life are, you know, everything's normal. And then you you hear this news and it kind of shatters your your whole understanding of the world and your experience as a person um and you know i'm sitting there trying to imagine that and it's yeah you know it's not the same as going through it um right but also and i had and to I, ask you a lot of questions yeah. along the way like uh do you struggle with this like what's you know it it was a new it was definitely pandora's box because right. um the hardest thing for me was the like deep down i always knew I mean, I remember having a conversation with you. Like, I feel like I have something else than ADHD. Mm-hmm. Like, we've had that conversation. Right. I've talked to doctors about it um, and just kind of been like, you're fine. Like, right. you know, you can talk. You're fine. You know, right. they do that. And I really, the realization of, like, things have always not been okay. But the hardest realization for me was that I really didn't get it anything like I, I like I know that sounds terrible but um there were so many social situations that I didn't get and so many um things that I didn't get and now I get it mm-hmm. but it was like the knowledge right but it's also depressing to like think back and be like I didn't get any of it right I wasn't like understanding and and I don't know like I can't go back and relive my life as a young person with the knowledge. Right. And I don't even know if that would have helped then. It helps me now um, in a lot of situations. But I was a lot different back then. And I don't know. It's it's That's the hardest thing is that realization that I didn't get a lot of stuff. And a lot of my yeah. struggles were actually a lot worse than I was letting on. And I knew that deep down. But, but yeah, it, it yeah. was very deep. And, and that's part of that Pandora's box yeah. where you would look back on things. You would look back at your life mm-hmm. with a fine-tooth comb oh, and everything. And we talked about a lot of it. into that, you know, you would bring it up at, at one point or another. Yeah. And and that happened for me, too, when I would think through things and, like, oh, maybe that was a weird social situation. Um, mm-hmm. And then, okay, yeah. Can you think maybe, of a specific? Um, going out with friends and 
maybe you talking over people. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, like, like, see, I don't even know coming in at an inappropriate time during conversation where the conversation is organically maybe going this way and then you might come in (laughs) on top of it and, and pull it in a different direction. So Um, why didn't you ever mention that to me? I mean, I know I do that. Before your diagnosis? Well, yeah. If if we were like out with friends or whatever, like, were you ever embarrassed or like kind of like... No, I was never embarrassed. I mean, it it is what it is. You are who you are regardless of if you have a diagnosis or not. And and that happened before you got a diagnosis. Right, but you just... just, In my head, it's just you got a strong personality and you're trying to talk about this. Well, I do. (laughs) Um... Right, which is fine. And I think that was another point I wanted to say. I just I think it's funny say. because, like, we've never talked about that. Right. Um, but that is something I wanted to say that, you know, when you're receiving this news or you receive a diagnosis, it doesn't change who you are. You were an autistic person. Right. A person with autism. Right. However you say it. I say autistic. Okay. But I think... Before yeah. and after the diagnosis. Yeah. And, and no matter where that comes in in your timeline... It doesn't change, you know, the essence of who you are. Right. Um, it's just the chance to kind of make sense of some things and then also normally the chance to get, you know, specific treatment and thing like that and things like that. But with this adult diagnosis, there's not really many options. Right. Um, one other thing I wanted to say from my experience of watching you process everything was... Um, like we said, it opened up Pandora's box. You had a little bit of despair, a lot of questioning, a lot of ruminating. Um, but you eventually sublimated all those anguishy feelings into something positive, mm-hmm. um, which is good. And and I knew you would, but it, it wasn't anything that anyone could push you into. It was right. something you had to come to yourself. I definitely did. Um, and we did talk a lot about all of that. But and I that... know... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I know for me, too, there's not much I can do for you as an adult, you know, compared to, like, what, what we can do with the kids or whatever. But it did, like, instantly make me an advocate. Um, and I'll share the story of, of at work. Um, there was a presentation, and it was about dealing with difficult people in the workplace and, and it was humorous and there were different, um, types of people like Michael Scott was brought up as uh, a narcissist. Um, or just like making it all about me in the workplace kind of thing. Right. And that was funny. And, and it was like tips, it was, you know, it was like a manager seminar type of thing and tips on, on how to navigate these difficult people. And for the most part it was in good fun. Um, but there was one portion where, um, Dr. Spock, I guess, from Star Trek, I don't know, um, was one of the personality types. and um, Robotic, right? Was the robotic, robotic. yes. Robotic was the, the mm-hmm. descriptor. And um, the facilitator of this seminar said, um, you know, this might be a person who is uh, who you describe as spectrumy. Um, and then went on to describe tips on how to, how to deal with that or navigate that. Do you remember the tips? No, I, I don't. Um, but after you having that diagnosis, me hearing that 
you know, red flags went off and I was like, whoa, that's, uh, you know, that might be And we had just alienating. dealt with the Joe Rogan spectrum comment that I was all fired up about. Yeah, and it was the same spectrum. It was that right. same word. exact word. That, um... And I was upset because I'm like, now people are going to, like, use that as an adjective and it's right. it's considered... There's no world where spectrum is, like, going to be used in a positive way. Right. Like, when, when someone says that. So... Right. We had just like dealt with that as well. Right. So, so it changed my whole thinking because if I would have heard that before you and the kids were diagnosed, I just would have, I I wouldn't have thought twice about it, but I did. And it really stuck with me as I sat through, through the rest of the seminar. Um, so I went up to the facilitator afterwards and I said, um, you know, you might want to think about not using that word. And, you know, it might alienate some people in the audience or whatever. And I said, you know, my wife and my three kids, I've been diagnosed over the last year with autism and, uh, you know, you might not want to say that just like inspector me to difficult to deal with. Right. Because. And you also, I remember you said that you don't know who's in your audience too. Right. And, and, and who and has a, seminar a kid that's diagnosed so and all that. Or yeah. whatever. Right. And, um, and while you're definitely difficult to deal with, um, <laughs> You know, I, I, know. Don't, I don't think that was appropriate for her to say. And I'm not a cancel culture person or a dictate who says what person or PC. You're or not at all. I was actually really shocked that you said something. Like and I was that. really proud of you. I um, totally believe that people should say whatever they want about whatever they want in any circumstance. And I don't feel that way. So we differ um, there. <laughs> we do. And I, and I think that I understand that words hurt and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, they're just words, but that's just me. That's, that's so neurotypical. Of that's you. very neurotypical yeah. of me. Um, <laughs> you know, like Ari, uh, the comedian Ari Schaefer or Schaefer mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. made a joke about Kobe after he died and, you know, he got cancel cultured or whatever. Um, I don't, did he actually get canceled though? Yeah. He got like dropped from his, uh, management Ugh. team and everything but i think it's fine i think so. i've you know it was just a joke about him was, being a rapist though right well he he always puts down celebrities when they die that's what he does and i i mean i i um, I, like, I see the nuance in with comedians that's mm-hmm. kind of their job some of them like if they're a shock comedian right uh it's kind of weird to like cancel a shock, yes. like a, someone who does that for a right. living and made their living that way. And then all of a sudden there's like one thing. Right. Yeah. Like, one, yeah, like that's one weird for far. me, but like politicians mm-hmm. or, or people of, of legitimate power who are mm-hmm. saying like extremely hurtful things about mm-hmm. a group of people. Um, I'm never going to be okay with that. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, in- but this woman, was you're doing you're doing the thing <laughs> high up in your business right she was high up in my business but yeah. I, just on the point of cancel culture and everything like that um i think that me personally like i have heroes but on the other hand it's funny to see people's heroes or idols being torn down that's all that was as far as cancel culture in in this arena yes the woman who's facilitating was um uh, high up in my organization, and I thought it was good for her to know that. And I would never want to alienate alienate anyone for for any reason at all, especially, especially in that her. setting. Yeah. Uh, especially in that setting. So I did say something to her. She was very receptive to what I said. Um, she said that previously, instead of 
the Star Trek guy was uh, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, um, which might even and and she said somebody said something to her about that. Um, so she changed it to Spectrum instead of Rain Man. <laughs> yeah, and you know, but I think that's a, a difficult thing to battle too, right? Because Rain Man is, I mean, not for young people, but has seeped into the culture of like. Right. You know, that's an early example of Rain Man. And when I was in well, high school what, and took a oh, yeah. AP psychology class, you know, we they like watched segments it. from Rain Man and that's, you know, that is what it is. But and autistic I think people it's, get annoyed too because that's like the smallest percentage of autistic people right. are, the, are like that um, neurotype of autistic. Like, right. I've like, never like, met anyone like Rain there, Man. Right. There's, it's very rare to... Um, be a savant in like right. one area like right. normally it's not i mean not there's some autistic people that are not a savant in anything right some are you know considered savants but it's more because they've hyper focused on something for so long it's not that they're actually just like right a genius right uh you know in a certain area right um so there's a lot of a lot of odd stereotypes from media right but i think it's important to note that we culturally are in a time of change with stuff like this and everything that's going on of that not being the norm that you when someone says autistic neurotypicals don't think of rain man anymore hopefully so watching that part of your journey was uh like i said rewarding i don't know it's still a work in progress everything all yeah that. yeah very much i'm processing everything as i go still with all of you um but I think, you know, you talked about my um, harder times during processing and then kind of like overcoming them. Mm -hmm. um, but now looking back, I'm realizing it was really like mourning the loss mm -hmm. of this person that I thought I was mm -hmm. and then I wasn't. And, it, and it's really it really ended up being not the diagnosis of autism that was so hard. It was the realization that I was masking and like just confused and right. had all of these struggles that I didn't understand, but then getting the opportunity to understand them even just a little before middle age, but even before middle age, you know, was good. And, and I, I would say 90% of my outlook with just thinking of, about all of the issues of autism and all that is very positive. Yeah. Um, but there's also negative like at least 10 percent of negatives yeah. that affect me on a daily basis especially after taking the mask off and and the sensory issues i've uncovered and all of that and i'm you know struggling to figure out how to manage that which is you know hard for you yeah in the relationship yeah. um like we recently kind of had a fight where um you know, over the last six months, I've been explaining sensory overload to you and mm -hmm. what it means and and how it's not like a pain, but it hurts and you can't explain it. And there's nothing like you just have to get away and lock yourself in a cave, or at least me. Um, and we know that. And there not every night, but there are days when you come home from work and we have three kids. So that's what I'm doing during the day for the most part is two toddlers and a fourth grader. <laughs> and you get home five five thirty, and there are some days where I just have to go upstairs, right. um, which of course isn't easy for you, but you know we we struggle yeah. with that 
communication yeah. there. Um, because I know it's not your dream to like come home and just from a hard day of work and just taking over right. the kids. Um, but for me, it's just like, why can't he just understand that it's not every night and, and I'm only doing this cause I really need to or, or whatever. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, we did, we had a fight about that. It was a big one. It was a big one. You, um, you know, I've been having a long week at work and I, I'm at work for 10 hours and I, and I came home and you, you were already up in bed with the, with the girls and I brought them down and made them dinner and played and changed diapers and washed dishes and everything like that. And I was getting them ready for bed and, you know, I, I guess the other piece is I'm trying to prevent them from coming up the steps to go see you because I know you're in sensory overload. Right. Um, and I was getting them ready for bed or doing something and I said something to you or whatever and, and I said, it's like I'm a single dad. Well, this is what happened. You came oh, in, you came in the room and put a book down, you know, whatever book you're currently reading. And you just gave me a look that is just not, um, like normally when I'm in bed and you know, I'm having experiencing sensory overload, mm-hmm. you come in and you say like, can I get you anything? You're actually like really like for the most part, very supportive mm-hmm. of that. Um, but you came in and just kind of gave me a look and dropped the book and then just like yeah. walked out. And I was like, wait, 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 what, you know, what's wrong? And I'd been in, in bed, you know, for at least an hour at this point, it was a while. So mm-hmm. I hadn't, we hadn't seen or talked in a little bit. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what's wrong? And you were like, you're like, nothing, nothing's wrong. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> you know, like yeah. kind of doing that. And whenever you do that, I know something's wrong. And I was like, well, why are you being like passive aggressive? And And you said... <sighs> I'm not being passive aggressive, but I can be aggressive aggressive if you want. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, what, what did I do? And, and in my, what's going through my head at the time Mm -hmm. was we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. He knows, you know, I'm here because I'm experiencing like, you know, what feels like pain, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not handling things well. I, I need, I need this, um, and it really is not every night, right? Uh, it was very frequently the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I've been struggling the last two weeks, yeah. but in my head, it was just like, I, I, ha- I have to do this. Right. Um, and what was going through your head? Like when I was sure. just kind of like, so, so yeah, it puts, what is going on? So spoiler alert, the thing that got us out of this fight was good communication. Um, <laughs> but in my head, and yes, I know that I know about sensory overload, but also for me as a neurotypical, and I might not be typical of all neurotypicals, but I'm very practical minded and thinking about like what we have to do. You know, we have two toddlers and, and a nine year old. So there's a million different dependencies and things we got to do before bedtime, everything like that. And all three of them are on the spectrum and, and special needs. So right. it's like, so I'm so focused on the tasks that I need to get done that it's not in the forefront of my mind that you're laying in bed because you're in almost physical pain because of the the noise beating your ears took all day. Right. In my mind, I just worked for 10 hours. I just did a million things. I still had a million more things to do. Not that I need you to help me out or that I want you to help me out. That's what my that's where my mind is. So I'm not thinking, I'm not taking that step back to think 
you know, she's in bed because she's experiencing this overload. I'm not thinking that you're in bed because you're lazy, but some people might think that. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't think that, but... I think you definitely, even though you knew I was in bed, mm-hmm. I mean, you were angry. Yeah. Not at me, just yeah. at the... Like, I, I could tell that you weren't necessarily, like, angry at me yeah. or frustrated. You yeah. were very frustrated. I wouldn't say angry. Yeah. Um, and you said, um, in a moment of anger, I feel like a single dad. Yeah. And... It hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, because in my head, it's like he knows. Like, why? Why would mm-hmm. he say that? Like, right. like I want to be here. Right. Like, I want to be in bed when my family's all downstairs playing and right. and having fun, or just like a typical night. Um, why? Like, you know, hearing that made me feel like you were like almost like trying not to understand or or equating it to laziness or um just like I don't have to help so I'm just going to be in bed. <laughs> like that's that's kind of right. like what that felt like. Yeah, and and that's not what I was saying. It was more like I came home from work, I didn't see you. I did everything myself. I played with all the kids myself and like missed your presence. But of course I was angry. It came out angry. It sounds like a, a jerk thing to say. Anyway, the way we got out of it was communication and basically the things that we just said. You know, maybe I needed to hear you say that you didn't want to be in bed. And, like, of course I knew that, but, like I said, when when your mind's going a mile a minute and you're doing a million things, you don't take a second to stop and think about that. And for you, having autism and having to deal with all these sensory issues, it's not a visible issue. I don't look at you and say, she can't take these sounds or she can't take these right. lights. You can't see it. Right, like in Gigi, you can see the sensory stuff Georgia affecting is, her. Georgia is very like, animated. She'll cover her ears. Well, and it's any noise. Like it's like an ambulance. If there's a noise. Right. Um, or, or come up to you right. if there's an ambulance going by. But but you sit there and take it, and there's no way for me to tell the difference between when you're in sensory overload or you're sitting there happy. Right. So, you know, that, that plays a part. And I wanted you down there, and, you know, I didn't come out and say it calmly and, you know, with everyone's feelings in mind. I just said, it's like I'm a single dad. And it was. It was like, that's what a single dad does. They come home and they cook some stupid pasta for their kids and then they wrestle for a half hour and then they put them to bed. You know? Right. So you're saying I should have just taken you literally at face value? I meant it at face value. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's a deep thing to unpack. I didn't say it to hurt you, but. I know. You know, whatever. I'm sure this happens to all the people listening out there. Thank you for opening up about that. You're welcome. I miss you too. Like that, that's one thing I really want, you know, any neurotypical partners out there. um, It's really important to know that when your partner is struggling and isolating themselves in some way, it's not because they want to. Um, It's not because typically they're up there beating themselves about it too but the beating themselves up about it too they're they're like I was up there um I had a really hard day that day Mm -hmm. um but it wasn't necessarily just that day it had kind of been building um I had expressed you know my struggles with you and it kind of just it was came to a head like I I just 
couldn't even deal with it. And then after you even said that, like, I was so upset, but we didn't even fight like right away. I was just like, just close the door. <laughs> I was like, just close the door because I couldn't eat. We, I didn't even have the energy or even the capacity to even fight with you or clarify right. what the heck right. that meant or any of that. It was just like, okay, close the door. Um, let me get back to my cave. <laughs> but it's so important to know that the, the person who is isolating themselves and literally suffering in some way at the time is not doing it because it's easier right. or because they want to. Right. It's because they're literally trying to get through that moment. Yeah. Um, which I get. I, I can see, you know, looking in the moment, I right. can't see. But looking back, I see how, I see what you said. I see how it's probably so confusing for you because a lot of the time there's no warning. Right. Um, I mean, sometimes I text you and I'm like, it's rough today. But mm-hmm. sometimes I don't even go up when I say that. Right. Like, go, you know, do my whole sensory routine. Right. Right. Um, so it, it is, it's hard to know. And you are... A routine guy. Um, you do have some autistic traits, which is good for us. Mm-hmm. Like you're very routine based. Mm-hmm. So when your routine gets off whack, you also don't like that. So those nights where I'm just running upstairs does right. throw you off too. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it goes back to it not being a visual thing where right. <clears throat> if I had a neurotypical wife and she was doing some of those things, it would mean that she was being lazy or, or X, Y, Z. Right. But it doesn't in this case. And, or, that's, and you know, six months, a year, however long we are. I mean, is it this. really, though? I mean, it would probably more be like depression or, or something mental health related anyway. Like, do, no, is there's, there really there's like... lazy people who just got cockroaches running around and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think. <laughs> um, so Jessica asked or says that housework has always been a challenge for her and her partner. So she's curious. How do you guys handle chores and financial responsibilities and paying bills? Do you have a schedule or do you split up the task or is it whoever gets it first deal or how does it work? Good question, Jessica. Um, (laughs) It's pretty much, yeah, we each have our own strengths and weaknesses and and we do those. Um, We kind of team up. Yeah, we split up, up, we team it up and if there's anything... And we rely on communication we, for we, like we, those days that I just can't do it. Yeah, I think like I think we handle it pretty well. I think we like I enjoy washing dishes and you don't. Right. So I just I do it. I don't mind. Um, Even though you're not very good at it. Disagree. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think we split. And you right. Like, we split up like laundry. You do your hate, laundry. Yeah, I hate. Yeah, I like the mundane computers yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. you, you do all the bills and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, we just kind of split it all up based on what we kind of like to do. Mm-hmm. So if if you're a couple that doesn't like to do anything, that sucks. <laughs> but we we kind of yeah do what we or like better capabilities yeah. of doing. So <laughs> Elizabetta asked, um, "Is it one's duty to get married? What does marriage mean to you as combined neurodivergent, neurotypical?" And why marriage? Um, I will say that traditional marriage was very important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is it one's duty to get married? Um, 
I don't know. I mean, it depends on the person, but I think... Yeah. I think the person has to decide if that's their, their own duty. You know, it's built in our genetic code to want to reproduce, and uh, I definitely felt that. I definitely wanted to have a family. You always talked yeah. about wanting a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't definitely not going to have too many, too many kids. Yeah. Three is good. Um, and yeah, and, and what does it, what does marriage mean to us? Well, for one, when we were getting married and everything, um, I guess we did. I mean, I knew I was neurodivergent because I was ADHD as a kid and all that. Um, but it was just didn't matter. No, none of that mattered. It it really didn't, didn't factor in our chemistry and connection mattered more than anything. Um, we never talked about, I mean, I definitely remember processing and thinking about the fact that like, I was so jealous about how you could just like do everything and easily and just like sit and read all night and like, just go to work. Like you just go to work. (laughs) Like, like just no, not no struggles. You of course have struggles, but I mean like when I think about my issues, like just none of that, like you wake up and go to work. There's not much negative thought. Like it's just what you do. You, I don't know if it's, um, no trepidation about it. No, no. And, and me, like when I did, go to work I mean every day it's like I don't want to go to work and like it's like a thing and I have to pep talk myself and all that um so I definitely noticed our brain differences Mm -hmm. always yeah but just never mattered yeah I was just likened it to a personality difference or something like that Yeah. yeah and we've always said that we even each other out the right way yeah um and I think we do for the most part um, so next question. Oh, she did want to add in there, um, thoughts on what marriage really means. And I'm on my second marriage and the first one <laughs> didn't mean anything because it was a mistake. Um, both parties agreed to that. Um, so marriage in general, you know, is a piece of paper, but you can be in a marriage that literally is just a piece of paper, which I've been through. Um, but our marriage really means the world to me. Like it's, it's, it's a very deep connection that we have. Um, you're definitely not perfect, but I know I have someone who, even if you don't support me in the way I need, I know that you want to, Mm -hmm. and that's what really, really matters to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're working through all of these challenges together, but I've never had, like, you can call anyone a partner, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I never had a partner right. until I was with you. So marriage with you means so much different than I ever thought it would. Mm-hmm. Like I, I also grew up with parents who were in a horrible marriage. Right. Um, and most of the pe- married people I, I knew growing up were not in a good marriage and, right. um, I remember my 20s was like, I'm never, in my young 20s, it was like, I'm never going to get married, <laughs> you know, on my second. But, um, you know, yeah, I think it definitely think, depends on the marriage, yeah, what it I, means. Yeah. I think for me, it it's a changing definition of, of what it means, you know. 
when you're a kid or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. marriage is this something that you idolize, you know. Um, but now it's where we are right now. It's like two people agreeing to support each other mm-hmm. regardless of. No matter what. Yeah. 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 It's more for me. Um, Bethany asked, how did you, like when we were first together, how did I communicate about my ADHD diagnosis, like neurodivergence at first compared to now. Um, and that was also kind of a evolution because I, um, we got together when I was running away from all my neurodivergence. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, well, the more kids I had, the more I was like, I have to deal with this. Right. Um, because, you know, when it's just you, you can kind of just you know, skin of your teeth get by and, and it's okay. But when you add every kid you add, it's just like harder and harder and harder to manage executive functioning. So especially after my third child, it was like, I have to go. I remember, I remember we had a conversation and, and I said, I have to go deal with ADHD right. again. Yeah. And, um, and you were very supportive. You were like, go, go do it. You're yeah. like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then you even like kind of held me accountable when I kind of put it off a little bit. And you're like, just go, just go do it. Right. But yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, the way you communicated to me was you were diagnosed with ADD as a child. And, you know, you medicated for a while, stopped taking your meds. And I don't think, I mean... For the way I grew up, I don't think there was any stigma around that. I knew plenty of kids with mm-hmm. ADHD and, and kids who took their meds and kids who didn't and kids who were into not eating high fructose corn syrup mm-hmm. because of their ADHD. Right. So, yeah, no stigma there. And then, yeah, when it came to a point... What about me? Do you did. remember, like, pre-medicated me and after? Was there a change? Um, It's been years now. I don't even yeah, remember. You've been medicated for years. I really. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah. Before you were medicated, you were having issues at your job. Yeah. Yeah, the medication did kind of help that. It helped the functioning piece, but it didn't help the anxiety and all that that yeah. I had. But I didn't even know it was anxiety. Anusha asks, "How did your partner react when he found out?" And I want to do it like I'll answer that for me, like my perspective, and then you can kind of answer, um, for, from my perspective, it was very, he let me take the lead on it. Um, you were not judgmental at all, which was, um, very refreshing for Mm me. Um, you know, there was quite a few times, especially in the beginning, like I support you do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I kind of wavered on if I was going to get a diagnosis or not too. And you're Mm -hmm. like, go, if you can go do it kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I I think you reacted, um, not necessarily negative or positive. You were just kind of there for me when I needed you, Mm -hmm. like kind of thing. Like it wasn't, I don't know. What was your perspective? How did you react? Um, were you ever like, oh my God, I married an autistic person? Like, no, well, no. I mean, well, yeah, we said to each other, like, jokingly, like, how did we not know? 
Well, yeah. After but, I, but yeah. never in a, in a negative like, right. what the hell's wrong with me type of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, for me, I think it was just more semantically a, a label, but the label doesn't change anything. Your behavior before you got diagnosed, right, and after is the same. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It really didn't. It wasn't. I don't think I had a. a I definitely didn't have a negative reaction. Was it harder for you? Was it more like you just dealing with me processing it more than the realization of me being autistic? Yeah, I think that's that was more of a heavy lift than yeah. just processing it. Right. But I'm sure it's not that way for most people. Right. Or not most people, just for some people. You know, I'm sure it varies. Um, well, I would say someone who's a little more prone to stigma, it might be more negative or something or like... You know, because we already had kids, you know, someone who's, I'm sure it can get more negative. Than yeah. White, but you're not really that kind of person. Get more negative. And I would say for people who are neurotypical and if you're going to, if you get a diagnosis and you have to tell your neurotypical boyfriend or, or whatever, um, give that person some time to process it too. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the, the reaction is a kind of knee jerk, gut wrench, whatever type of reaction. But that, that might be because of the stigma, not because how the person really feels. And they might need right. some time to think about it and process it. And we think about how, like, uneducated we were about it. And it was me. It was my – it was – I was autistic and I was extremely uneducated. Right. And, of course, you were too. Right. Um, yeah, so a lot of the reactions are, if they're negative, are typically based on lack of education. Right. But if someone has a negative reaction, you know, they, they can turn around and, and accept – it or if they don't then it's probably not somebody you want to be with anyway so (laughs) yes true that emma asks where do you begin to decode your relationship and communication struggles which we have yeah we have i think it's a it's a daily thing it's really just taking that step back i mean we don't have communication struggles with every conversation we have but when we do it, it helps us to take a step back. And that the diagnosis yeah. has helped that because previously it might have just been, you know, you, thought you, I was you difficult. go your separate, you separate thought ways. I, was difficult. You th- I think you're difficult. You think I'm being unrealistic An or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this gives us a framework to take a step back and say, yeah. hey, how can I be better for my wife? And how can, you know, you yeah. think, how can you be better? How can I, can, yeah. yeah. I, I think... Honestly, like when I take a step back and think about it, it's probably very basic NDNT communication struggles because it's just sometimes we just have a disconnect and I don't really know where it is. It's not necessarily all you or all me. It's just a disconnect. Right. And that that happens to any couple. Right, right, right. But um, I think, you know, our communication struggles are just that. Like we just sometimes say things we don't mean and it's hard to decode that for me or like I'm not communicating what I'm really thinking very well mm-hmm. or and you do that too yeah um yeah so I would say sometimes there's a disconnect and then sometimes it's just generic couple bickering yeah, <laughs> like, universal stuff right yeah yeah it's a mix um Emma also asked do you have meltdown and burnout prevention plans or is there diffusion strategies that you use and what i was gonna answer the question go ahead i was gonna say no not not a regimented official protocol for burnout or uh 
meltdowns, but we do, I think we handle it pretty well. Like if you communicate that you need whatever, I'll take, you know. Right. We had that one fight recently, but most nights I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to go upstairs and mm-hmm. just decompress. And nine out of ten times, like, you're totally cool with that. Yeah, or if I notice that you're super stressed out or going through whatever, I'll take you the do kids tell out me. to the park. And, or you'll tell and me, like, kinda... go ahead and go upstairs. Yeah. or yeah. yeah. It was like, are you? But you have not many of the social yeah. communications. And that's a big piece of getting a diagnosis is the social like you've had lifelong friends many you've had like a lot of lifelong friends um like rarely falling out with anybody and all of that you just don't have any of that like typical social problems so that kind of keeps you out counts you out but um i think you have enough traits though to where like we were compatible because it's you know, I also, um, you know, routine is really important. The ADHD messes some things up, but I do feel my best when I'm like in a routine and, right. you know, all of that. Um, and last question, last question. Um, Avalon asks, what is one of the biggest differences between you and your NT husband? When it comes to personality and handling the upbringing of your children, hmm. and we have we are very different with that. I'll let you take that one then. Um, biggest differences is I don't know. It's kind of hard to put into words because it's like a lot of you know like situational stuff so it's hard to just like throw out a statement um I think you are very masculine with your parenting and I am a little more um definitely not feminine but just like just a different approach I don't know you're you're very like I'm the man I'm the dad you know all of that um, I've never said that. You probably haven't said that, but you know, to, your father figure is important yeah. to you, um, and not that that's not important to me, but I think that it's more like approach to communication that mm. we differ with with the kids. Like I'm more like you're very hover, like you hover over, like you're like a little worried about them a little more than me and I'm like let them experience life a little bit and so I don't know but I don't think like I mean we have little arguments sometimes but I don't think it's like a a big challenge that we have but we're definitely we definitely have different approaches yeah I think we have different approaches I don't know how I name my approach or name yours yeah slight differences but it doesn't cause a rift between us no no. And I think the kids appreciate both styles. But yeah, I'm definitely regimented when it comes to like the same bedtime every night, you know, breakfast, and lunch, I, and dinner and I at, am too. at a table. Yeah. Um, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, we didn't give her a good answer. Yeah. It's a hard one. It's hard to, I don't know, what do you have, two hours? Like that's something you really have to dive into to give yeah. a, a decent 
answer. Um, I think that while all four of us on the spectrum are very different, Mm -hmm. I do think that me being on the spectrum helps a little bit with them. Um, because it's not, it's not that I relate easier or better. Mm -hmm. It's just more of a patience or something that I naturally have now that I, you know, through, because I've lived it, I've struggled it. it. You really come from outside. That that's a good point. And yeah, my upbringing. I went to Catholic school, you know, all the way through college, and did very well in school, and never had any issues. Mm-hmm. And I think, with your perspective, looking at the kids, it it brings a lot more patience onto mm-hmm. me. You know, my school experience was very rigid I mm-hmm. guess you would say um but your perspective and then dealing with the kids with that you know it it has changed my perspective on that I would say on yeah. what just the the whole approach to schooling right um you know and thinking thinking about how they go through school mm-hmm. or they're going to go through school with some struggles that I didn't have and definitely never even thought about when I right. was in school. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, school came very natural to you always. Like you were that guy and we all had people in our class where it's like they barely even try and they get all A's and it's just like you can just goof off and it's mm-hmm. not stressful at all. You just kind of like mm-hmm. have fun at school. Yeah. You just go to school and have a good time and um most no there's plenty of neurodivergent people that um you know, school is a passion and they enjoy it and they're very good at it. But most, I would say from my experience, really struggle with school and, um, you know, not that we all have learning disabilities or anything like that, but just struggle with, um, even things like knowing what's expected of us because that's a social thing that we don't always pick up on or, or when things get challenging, we don't necessarily want the shame, so we mask or, or fake struggles right. or, like, just try to do whatever we have to do to right. not have, you know, social struggles and issues and all right. that. So add that on top of academia. It's very Yeah, for stressful. me, school was always a place where I was engaged and, like, looked forward to going to. Or the same thing with work. Which blows my mind, you know. But, <laughs> you know, looking at our son his approach to school is not that. Right. And and he's from, different than me, than he's my different approach. Than you, but, but, you know, me being in this world now makes me, you know, if someone wasn't in this world and had a very limited knowledge of autism or neurodivergence or whatever, someone might look at an autistic kid going to school and not wanting to go to school as like being scared or being lazy or behavior. not wanting to do it behavior or, or problems. having bad behavior. Right. When it's not that at all. And that was and me. Talking to you and talking to our son about it, you realize it's not that at all. Right. And and then it just makes me want to help. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think that that's a difference between us that brings us together and helps me see a different perspective where I can hopefully help. Do you have any advice for neurotypical partners dealing with a late diagnosis of their partner um, and maybe struggling with it. Yeah. I mean, if you're struggling with it, uh, you got to take, look at your relationship on its most basic level. And, 
It's two people that love each other. Um, you know, and, and any relationship, it, there's difficulties and, and things you got to navigate. And if this is one of them, you know, communication is, is really key and understanding each other is key. Um, and I think we try to do that and it's not perfect, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I would say to add on to that, it's if someone, you know, if you're neurotypical and someone's struggling um, with their late diagnosis, um, I imagine it's probably hard to know what to do because it mm-hmm. seems like they probably want space or whatever. Right. But I do think it's important that you both take time and, and communicate where you are because, yeah. um, like, I remember, like, you made it very clear. Like, you said it a lot. Like, I support you. I'm going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about if I didn't get that, it probably would have made a lot of things worse. Yeah. So... I think um, giving space when it's needed is is very necessary because it's some like you can't help me process right. my late diagnosis journey of my whole life. Right. But um, just knowing that I had you when when I needed you and um, you giving me that reassurance every now and then was huge. So mm-hmm. I would say give space when it's due. But um, even if you're struggling with it let them know that you support yeah. their journey. And even if it's hard, it's yeah. going to be hard. It was hard yeah, and for I both think, of us. Yeah, for for the neurotypical half in a relationship, you don't know what to do. And there's maybe right. nothing you can do. And we and, don't know what to tell you to do because we don't know what we're doing. Right. <laughs> so it's very hard for right. a neurodivergent person dealing with a late diagnosis to advocate yet because we're not even close to there yet. Right. We're like right. processing. you got to figure your own self out before you whatever right and and like i didn't even know what i needed from you looking back i know but at the time it was just like right (laughs) what do we do do. i'm I'm here for um but but looking back i think you handled it probably as good as anyone could where you you did give me my space and then every now and then just said i'm here i love you i support you um it doesn't get much better than that wow so i love you love you too